0: And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So, today we're going to conclude a kind of a shorter three week series that we have been in called In the Beginning. And what we've looked at in this series are some major themes that God sort of gave uh, instruction about from the beginning, from Genesis 1, 2, and even in Genesis 3, as we saw last week. And so the first week we looked at God's self-description, his autobiography, if you will. Basically, everything that you need to know about God, you can find in the first two to three chapters of the Bible. You kind of have to maybe look for some themes there, and we tried to point some of those out, but it's there. God describes who he is from the very beginning. And then last week, we looked at the meaning of marriage, how this institution that we've had for thousands of years started at the very beginning of everything, one of the first human interactions, well, the first human interaction, I guess, would have been marriage. There's just a man, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's a woman, and they're married, right? And so we looked at the meaning of marriage, uh, even from the beginning. Today, we're going to look at this idea of nothing wasted, nothing wasted. How many of you hate wasting stuff? You know, like you hate throwing food out. Oh, it's like no, you know. Um, or if you're if you're making something out of fabric, you try to use every piece of that fabric. I'm not wasting an inch of this. Or if you make something out of wood or another material, I'm going to use every scrap that I can. I'm not going to throw anything out. I want to limit the waste. We do this in life all the time. And uh, maybe you're a big recycler. You know, um, we don't want to waste anything. It just it's a waste, right? If if you really, really, really want to get rid of waste, there are probably ways that we can do that. We don't want to waste anything. Well, God doesn't waste anything either. That's the idea of today's message is that God doesn't waste anything. God doesn't make mistakes in what he makes. And there are really truly, in the truest sense, there are no coincidences when it comes to God either. Everything that God made, he made with a purpose, for a purpose. It has meaning. It has a use. And so this week, we're gonna, it's going to be a little bit different. We're not going to dive so much into the actual text of Genesis 1 and 2 as we have been, but we're going to look at the things that were made that are still around today in the natural world. We're going to look at three categories of things, if you will, in the natural world. Things that we may not know or see or understand the use of them, but we will find out what they are. And then we'll apply each of those Physical, natural categories and a personal, spiritual sense to see how God made everything with a purpose. There is nothing wasted with God. So the first main category that we'll look at for a minute here are what I'm going to call hidden things. There are hidden things in the universe that God made, but they all have a purpose. So I did some research the last couple of weeks, and apparently in the universe, for our universe to exist in the way that it does, there are 209 physical constants in the universe. Now, most, if not all of them, we can't physically see. They are hidden from our sight. But all of these natural things, and a lot of them, when I, I was like, what do those words even mean? I am not a scientist. I'm not an engineer. You know, I don't work for NASA, so I don't know what those mean. I'm just going to trust that we need those things for a reason. And even when it comes to our planet, for you know, we talk about is there life on other planets? Well, if there are the dozens of things that are exactly right, the conditions as they are on this planet, then sure, there probably is other life on other planets. But you gotta have a lot of a lot of dominoes fall exactly the right way. And so far in all that we've seen, we haven't found anything even fairly close to that. Let me give you just a few examples. I've talked about this before, but it's it's worth repeating again. There are dozens and dozens of physical constants that make this planet what it is. Even the tilt of the Earth's axis is at the exact right angle, within the right uh, range of angle for human life to survive. Even the speed of the Earth's rotation is exactly right for human life to survive. Our distance from the sun, so the temperatures are within the range that we can survive. The, The distance from the moon, so that as it pulls the oceans, it doesn't flood the Earth. So it, it, does the, it does the thing it should do because we're just far enough from the one moon, the size that it is, to survive. Even the oxygen levels on our planet, it's a pretty important thing, okay? Those are just right. The conditions are perfect. God made them exactly how he knew he needed to for us to survive, And in the same way, the levels of carbon in the atmosphere, which may be even more important than oxygen. Because when we go to other planets, like even Mars, that's what we're looking for is carbon. Is there carbon? Because if there's even a little, if we knew carbon used to be here, we know that life maybe used to, that's what we're looking for on, for life on other planets. So the level of carbon, God made it to work in a certain way. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a coincidence. He fine-tuned everything in the universe for a purpose, and he fine-tuned everything on this planet for a purpose. For us, okay? So that's a pretty, pretty cool thing to consider. So that's the, the physical aspect of the hidden things. But how does that translate spiritually or practically, personally in our lives? Well, there's another force in the universe on this, on this planet, in this world, that is hidden uh, but is very much essential for us. And it's not really an it or a thing. It's a person. It's the Holy Spirit. So we even when we go back to Genesis 1 verse 2 it says the spirit hovered over the darkness at the beginning of creation. So the Holy Spirit's been around since the beginning. He knows how things worked. He knows how things were before there was anything here, which is a pretty interesting thing to try to wrap our brains around. And so and he was there as a part of the creation of everything and he's been here ever since. But he's hidden. So sometimes we tend to what I would call waste the Holy Spirit in our lives because we take him for granted at times. But here's why it's important that we don't waste the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.25, Paul says, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. And then the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, he frames it, he words the same idea in a different way. Here's what he says, Isaiah 30.21. He says, your own ears will hear him, Right behind you, a voice will say, this is the way you should go, whether to the right or to the left. I want to encourage us this morning to not waste the Holy Spirit. He is hidden but he's been here since the beginning so we need to make use of him he has all power he has all wisdom he knows how things ought to work and so we need to make use of his power and his wisdom and his knowledge in our lives to help us as both paul and isaiah say to help us live our lives And to show why this is so important, I just have a couple of lists here that I want to go through for a second. One list is living life with the Holy Spirit, and one is how how we live life without, when we waste the Holy Spirit. So life with the Holy Spirit means a life of peace, wisdom, joy, love, patience, self-control. A lot of those are fruit of the Spirit. That's Galatians 5, what we just read. Life without the Holy Spirit, though, looks a little bit different. It's a life of fear, folly, discontentment, mistrust, impatience, self-indulgence, and selfishness. When we waste the Holy Spirit, we, that's the kind of life that we tend to lead. We tend to gravitate to our own desires that lead us down a path we don't want to go, but inevitably we go down that path because we're wasting the power, wisdom, knowledge, protection of the Holy Spirit. Again, he is hidden, right? We can't see him, but he has been revealed. And we see it in Scripture. Hopefully you've noticed it in your life, in in the way that you do things. Sometimes you'll be ready to make a decision and you'll sense a check in your spirit. Some would call that the conscience. I would say if you're a follower of Jesus, you have the power of the Spirit living inside of you who's going to really say, no, we're not doing that. You don't want to go there. You don't want to say that, you know. And so hopefully we notice that in our lives and we don't just waste the Holy Spirit. Because there's, there's a lot there that He can do for us. There's a different path He can take us down, but it's incumbent upon us to just not ignore Him or take Him for granted. And it's kind of like this, well, I just don't believe in oxygen because I can't see it. Well, you know, too bad, it's there. So if I choose to not breathe, I'm going to die. I can't see the Holy Spirit, so it must not, you know, must not be a big deal or that feeling I can push that down or push it aside or, ah, you know... But that's wasting this hidden thing that God has given to this person, not a thing, sorry, that God has given to us in the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. So, again, let's not waste even this hidden person of the Holy Spirit. The second category is not just hidden things, but there are small things that God has made that have huge importance. And this is, again, in a physical sense. Let me just give you one example. A small thing would be your thumb. Pretty small, right? But how big of an impact does it have on our everyday lives? How often do you use this digit all the time for all sorts of things? And to illustrate the importance of that, I have a few things. I'm go- I haven't tried this yet, guys, so this may not go as I hope it does in my mind. But I'm going to try to do three simple things, first with, with the use of my thumb and then without. And we'll just see how important the thumb really is. I'm going to move this over here uh, real quick. So, like, just writing your name. Even picking up this pen, what did I use? I used my thumb to do that, didn't I? Anyone who's going to pick that up, they're probably not going to go like this. I will say there are some people that are born without thumbs or digits or some people who through accidents lose them. They learn to adapt, but I clearly have mine, so I'm used to using them. So this illustration should go great. So I'm going to, just normal, just write my name here on this piece of paper. Very sloppily. Uh, I should have been a doctor, you know, because my handwriting is awful. But now, I'm going to try to perform the same simple, it just took me two or three seconds, right? The same simple action without the use of this small, insignificant thing, right? I'm going to try to pick this pin. out. How am I even going to click it? I really want to do that, but I can't, right? So I've got to do that. And then I can't even use it to help me. This is, I feel like a toddler trying to learn how to write. So I can do this, right? I even probably write better. Wow. I mean, it's not, it's not much worse. If you want to come look at it later, you can. It's not much worse. I should have done that first. I'm not very smart, guys. So I can do that one, okay? It was more difficult, and it would not be fun. Like, writing my name one time, not a huge deal. Trying to write, like, sermon notes, that, would, that would never, I would never preach again. I'd still be writing for next Easter right now. So let's look at this one. How about tying your shoe? Seems like you need your thumbs for that. So let me just tie my shoe real quick. These, will be my, these are my Easter shoes, by the way, so they're still nice and clean. I haven't worn them yet. You're not supposed to wear white before Easter, so that's why they're, I haven't worn them. Um, I do believe in that rule of fashion, by the way. So I just tied the shoes and untied them really quickly without you even noticing it uh, with my thumbs. I'm going to now try to tie these laces without my thumbs, and we'll just see. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm trying to not use my thumbs, but it is really difficult, guys. And if somebody else may be more skilled than I am at this... so far this is the hard part now guys the crossing over the bunny ears thing see that oh 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 am I gonna make it oh maybe oh I can't I have another hand I'm not one-handed I guess and I'm just oh 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 am I gonna make it oh come on no lace oh no okay see it's already I'm gonna get this if we I got plenty of time okay so, don't look at your watch or your phone. Um, some, some of y'all are looking at me like I'm an idiot right now, and you're right. Okay, so I, I, I could get there, but I'm not gonna waste any more time. So, I couldn't even tie a shoe without my thumbs. So, now the last thing I'm gonna try to do is button my jacket. Think that's gonna happen? So, this, this, are, these are pretty, this is a pretty tough jacket to button anyway, but I mean, it takes, my whole thumb is pushing that thing through. So, I got it. Yay, thumbs, good job. So, but now, you, you, you want me to just skip this one, or do you want to see it? Okay, you want to see it? Okay. Okay, so I'm going to try to button this jacket. I'm kind of, I don't know if I'm using my thumbs or not. I can't even get it, like. Yeah, America's Got Talent. When are the auditions for that? I could do everything without my thumbs, Simon. Aren't you so impressed? Um, I can't, uh, yeah, okay, thank, thank you. I got buzzed. I got X. Yeah, okay. So this is a, these are really small things, aren't they? But they're pretty important. They have a purpose to them, even in everyday sort of use. Even, even in those simple things, we see the, the purpose of something small. Well, personally and spiritually, it's the same thing. And Jesus uses, in a lot of his stories, as we'll look at one in a second, small things to make a, a big message. Small things can make a big impact is what we see here. So, before we get to that, let me just, a couple things in everyday life. Just like the idea of stop to smell the roses, that's a small thing, but it can have a big impact in your life, can it? When we can learn to slow down and actually live life and not just, and I'm really bad at this, guys. Like, I'm always thinking about the next thing or what's next, and I don't, so this is for me. If it's not for anybody else, it's a good reminder for, for me. Slow down, like, Pay attention to what's going on around you. You know, looking people in the eyes, a small thing, but it's huge with communication. Even things like rest, taking a break, like taking that nap. Oh, what's a, you know, 30-minute nap going to do? You have no idea how big a 30-minute nap may be for the rest of your day or even the rest of your week. You know, I mean, I'm thinking back to Wednesday when I had a nap. The rest of my week was great after that. That's all I needed, you know. So even little things in everyday life can have a big impact. And Jesus used the same, the same idea here, a small thing, to make a big point. In Matthew 13, verse 31, says this. Here's another illustration Jesus used. He said, "...the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. It grows into a tree, and birds come and make nests in its branches." Jesus also used this illustration. The kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used in making bread. Even though she put only a little yeast in three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. This fulfilled what God had spoken through the prophet. I will speak to you in parables. I will explain things hidden since the creation of the world. So Jesus understood the importance of a small thing. Even the smallest of things can teach a big lesson. And the point he's proving is that even the smallest things in life can have a big impact. There's a story later on in Matthew 17 where this, uh, this man brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus, and he says, hey, I brought him to your disciples, and I thought they could handle it, but they couldn't do anything for him. So he's still like the demons inside of him are throwing him into the fire, trying to burn him alive, like trying to drown him, like he, he's not in a good condition. Can you do anything? And so Jesus, of course, heals, casts out the demon from the boy, and then later on, they're having a powwow uh, him and his disciples and they're like what what happened how did we go wrong and here's what he says Matthew 17 20 he says you don't have enough faith I tell you the truth if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed the smallest of all seeds, Matthew says you could say to this mountain move from here to there and it would move nothing would be impossible so Jesus uses the same illustration of the smallest of all seeds to prove this point, that even a little faith can move mountains. And I believe that can be true for your life and my life as well. It doesn't take, you know, an eight-year doctorate in studying the Bible to read the Bible. Like, j- just an effort there, the Holy Spirit, we already talked about, can illuminate things in your heart and your mind to help us to understand the Scriptures. We don't have to be an expert in anything to make a difference where we live. We don't have to have courses on evangelism. We just have to share our story with people, like get to know people and do life with them. That's what discipleship is is really all about. We don't have to be somebody else or have their skill set to make a difference in the world. Even the smallest things that we have to offer that don't seem much can make a big impact. Go back to Exodus. You know, all, all Moses had was a piece of wood. It's a staff, that's all he had. And God said, that's all I need. I don't need anything else. And so when you know, he, took, he threw it down on the ground, it turned into a serpent. And Moses couldn't do that, but he gave, he gave God what he had, which wasn't much, and God can do anything with that. The same, that's the same staff later on that, what does Moses do? He just holds it over the water. And what does God do with what Moses gave him? He parts the Red Sea for maybe half a million people to cross on the dry riverbed. So it's not that Moses had a lot. He didn't, it was very small. It's a, it's a staff. It's a piece of wood. But what God can do with that can literally part seas. And God can do the same thing with even as, as Matthew says, with your faith. All it takes is just a little bit, right? All it takes is just a little bit of faith, and God can do wonders in your life. So just like the thumb, don't take what little you have for granted. Don't think, well, my faith's not enough, or I need to do more, I need to be more. Now, we do want to grow in our faith, yes, but where you are right now is enough for what God wants to do in your life right now. What you have right now in, in your you know, skill set and your possession is enough to make a huge difference. Small things can make a big impact. That's what Jesus shows us here. So don't just be little, oh, I don't have enough, or I'm not enough, or it's not enough. Yeah, it's, it's not enough, but God can use that to be more than enough, even the small things. So then here's the third, the third category that we'll look at for a few minutes here, and that is what I'm going to call strange things. Not stranger things. I don't have a clip of that to show you, okay? Strange things. So even the strange things aren't wasted. And that's even, you know, physically, literally. Something like your appendix. It's one of those strange things. What does that do? Is there a use for it? Why does it get taken out? What's the point? Well, uh, it's actually part of the digestive system, right? And it contains good bacteria. Now, we don't really use it for that as often anymore because we live in a more sanitary culture than we did 1,000 years ago and maybe it had more of a use. Still, it does that. So even after, you know, you might have a bout with sickness, you might get sick a lot, it can help to replenish the good bacteria in your digestive system. So we don't really, it doesn't maybe do a lot in, in that respect, but it still does have a purpose Uh, And so here's the other part of it, is it can also be used as sort of a backup part. Think of it as like a spare tire of your body, you know. Uh, If you have other digestive problems and you have to have other parts taken out, it can be used and reshaped to kind of be that spot, to be that part of the digestive tract it can, you know, they, it's kind of there. It doesn't do a whole lot. Hey, let's use this part that doesn't do much and make it into something that we need now after we've had this surgery operation. So it can be used to be reshaped and formed to have a huge use that's very helpful. So it's kind of like, again, the spare tire of the body. If you don't have a spare tire, you need to get one, okay? <laughs> so it's, it's there. So even something, even something strange like the appendix, is still useful, even if it's in a small way. Well, personally and spiritually, there is something that you would think uh, is, that I'm going to say is going to be strange that has a use, that has a point, that God designs to have a purpose, and that is suffering, right? That's a strange thing to say. Suffering it has a use, has a point, has a purpose, Yes. So let's just look at there. There are two two positives even from suffering that I want to look at for a couple minutes here to show even that even that strange thing even that strange way of framing this idea can have positive effects and outcomes. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter one, uh, quite a bit of the chapter here for a minute, verses eight, nine, and ten. Paul says this. He says, "We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia." We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure. You ever been there before? We thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result of that suffering, he says, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. So two positive aspects here of suffering. Here's the first one that we see in these verses, is that even our suffering, although it is strange, it can draw us closer to God. That's what Paul is saying here. He says what we've learned, even through physical danger, and Paul, if you read the story, the life of Paul, he's always in some sort of physical danger. Either he's being stoned to death, or he's in house arrest, ready to be, you know, beheaded, or he's shipwrecked, or he's beaten up in another city, he's run out of town, like always with threats on his life. He says this suffering has caused him to stop relying on himself And to instead rely only on God. So what happens is we can't, our suffering can't have that value. But here's what we do too often is we waste our suffering. And here's how we do that: we just worry. Worrying is a waste. Even Jesus says that. He says worrying doesn't add a day to your life or an inch to your stature. It has no value. Now we do that, but when it comes to that's all we do in our suffering, worrying about, oh, how bad is it gonna get? or what's going to come next, or I'm not suffering right now, when's it going to come? That is not helpful. It's wasting whatever suffering we are enduring, have endured, or will endure. Trying to control things that are out of our control in the midst of our suffering, there is very little when those things happen. A loss, or an emergency that happens, or a medical issue, or a financial crisis, whatever suffering that you maybe have endured, as you know, very little of that is within your control. And yet, we try to spin our wheels to control the uncontrollable. It's a waste of our time with suffering. And here's the thing. We don't have to do this on our own, even though we sometimes try to. I'm just going to be really strong here. I'm going to just try to make it. I'm going to keep my chin up. I'm going to suck that tear back in that, you know, tear duct, and I'm just going to bite my lip, and I'm going to be fine. It's like, no, that's also a waste of suffering. We need to rely, as Paul says, on God and not on ourselves. That's a good use of suffering. It draws us even closer to Him. And then he says also here, we placed our confidence in Him, and we know that He will continue to rescue us. So what this does, even in our suffering, is as it draws us closer to God, it increases our faith. He is sustaining me, even through this difficult ordeal. I am still alive and kicking, even though maybe just barely in this moment. I don't have a ton of hope, but even as we saw, we just need like a mustard seed worth of faith here. That may be all you have in the midst of true suffering, but that's all that you need. So sometimes we can't, most of the time, we can't see a way out of our suffering, but hopefully what we see is that God is our way through suffering, because it can't be avoided, Christian, non-Christian, male, female, young, old, it doesn't matter. You will endure some type of setback, loss, disappointment, failure, pain. Whatever it is, suffering will come. And we can't see the way out, but we can see that God is the way through. And as he brings us through time after time after time, it should, if we're not wasting it, increase our faith for what is yet to come well, I know this seems really hard right now, but God brought me through before, and God's brought my neighbor through, and that's what we're here for each other for, right? And that's what we're going to get to in a second, is that, okay, he's brought me through before. He hasn't changed. He doesn't change. It's not in his nature or character to change. So I'm going to continue to put my faith in him, even in the midst of this suffering. So that's the first use even of suffering, is it can draw us closer to God. Here's the second one, and it's in the verses preceding what we just read. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse, verses 4-7. through seven, Paul says this, He comforts us, it's God, in all our troubles, so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for your comfort and salvation. For when we see ourselves for when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. Then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives us. So not only does suffering draw us closer to God, but it can draw us closer to one another. There's something special, I think, and amazing about shared experiences, right? And I think that's one thing in the last year that's really been lacking in our lives. Everything's online, so we kind of share in the experience, but it's just not the same even being here in this room with actual people. It's way better than eight months ago when I'm sitting here looking at a camera in a dark room by myself. There's a shared experience. Even things like ball games and concerts. I can't zoom into those and have the same experience as I do when I'm there in person with other screaming fans, you know? And you, you smell the hot dogs and the cotton candy. Sorry, it's too close to lunch. I need to stop talking about food. Anyway, but there's something about this shared experience. And suffering, even this strange thing of suffering has, an, if we don't waste it, can have the same effect. Because what this does, it, it's, it's nice to know sometimes that you're not the only one that suffers. Now, it's not that I'm like, yay, they're suffering too. In a weird way, it kind of is that, right? There's, there's sort of a comforting thing here that, okay, it, it's not just me. I'm not the weird one. I'm not the only one weighed down with problems and worries and cares Everybody else kind of is too. We're in the same boat together. Even if it's not the same thing, there's still that relational aspect to shared suffering that even in and of itself can provide some sort of comfort and really connection. And that's what we're looking for here. And it's interesting that in Philippians 3, Paul says that we, we sh- we're not alone in our suffering because Christ suffered, right? That's what this week is about, the suffering of, of Jesus on the cross, the agony even in leading up to the cross, In Philippians 3.10, Paul says, I have really one goal in mind, and he says it's this, that I may know him, and he says not only in the power of his resurrection, but also in the fellowship of his suffering. That's the part that we don't like to read, you know, I don't want to share in the fellowship of his suffering, but we do. It's important for us to know that even our risen Savior, the eternal Son of God, suffered, and so when, when I suffer, And when you suffer, there's, again, even automatic comfort in that connection as well. So we don't want to waste our suffering because of that connection, but also, as Paul says, because even through what we endure and suffer, we can help others through what they are suffering. That's the real key to it, I believe, is that as we are connected to God and encouraged in our suffering, we can then be an outlet to help others through what they are facing as well. So we can, and Paul says it here, we can comfort others, and he says, then you can patiently endure because of the comfort that we're helping to give, even through our own suffering. So when you suffer, because we will, right, don't just ask why, but rather, more importantly, ask who. Ask who can this help? Yes, my suffering, who can it help? Who can it encourage? Who can it motivate? So just sitting around complaining about our suffering is wasting our suffering. It doesn't help anyone, ourselves or anyone around us either. If we just, I'm just going to try to barely make it through, that's not really going to help anyone either. Now, there are moments of doubt and despair, so I'm not saying that we don't have those. I'm just saying if we stay there, we're wasting our suffering because our suffering should be, hey, somehow they're still believing with strong faith through this. That's going to encourage somebody else. When you come through the other side and you say, hey, I still believe that the God from the beginning of that is the same God, even though I've suffered loss and tragedy and injury, whatever it is, whatever the suffering might be, I still have the same faith in the same God. That's for other people to be like, whoa, like this faith is real to them. It's powerful to them. It's life-changing, life-giving to them. It can maybe do the same for me. So that's how we want to find purpose even in suffering, even though it's a strange thing, even though it's an unwanted thing, even though it seems otherwise pretty useless. Let's not waste it, but let's use it to connect us closer to God and then to also connect to others and encourage them and empower them along their lives that may be in suffering as well. So we connect it back again to Genesis 1 as we close, we see that we are, Genesis 1.26, we are made in God's image. So that means that we are all made with purpose. That means that we're all made with value and worth. God doesn't make accidents Accidences, he doesn't make those either. I do, but he doesn't. He doesn't, there's no coincidences with him either. And so here's my encouragement as we close don't waste your life, don't waste any part of your life. Even the the hidden things, the power of the Holy Spirit's there and available to help you live life to endure whatever comes your way, to overcome temptation that comes your way, to empower you, encourage you, and give you wisdom and a path that he needs, he knows that you should go. Don't even waste the hidden things. Don't don't waste the small things, the things that we take for granted in life every day because as Jesus tells us, even the smallest things can have a great impact. You are made to have a great impact. God has hardwired you in some way to reach someone for his glory. And don't even waste the strange things. Yes, even the suffering, even the heartache, even the disappointment, even the failure, even the crying, all of that. Don't waste it. Use it. Find a use for it. Draw closer to God even through those strange things. Draw closer to others. Encourage them even through those strange things. Because here's what I believe. I believe that as we live this nothing-wasted kind of life, God will do powerful things in and through us that we could not even begin to imagine. And so as we have this nothing wasted mentality, we can see God's goodness and grace and power in our lives like never before. Amen.